Lindsay Berra, and welcome to Food of the Gods, a podcast that explores how elite athletes eat and train to fuel performance. Today, we're talking with Michael Lorenzen of the Cincinnati Reds. He's known as one of the fittest players in Major League Baseball and cemented his place in the record books in 2019 when he became the first player since the great Babe Ruth to hit a home run, earn the win as a pitcher, and play the field all in the same game. But we promise Lorenzen does not eat as many hot dogs as the Babe. In fact, this Southern California guy is a gluten-free, dairy-free exercise fiend whose Instagram is populated with photos and videos of the intense workouts he does to get his body ready to both pitch and play the field. Think long distance ocean swims, pull-ups with heavy chains and explosive medicine ball throws. Michael, thanks so much for joining us. I've definitely been doing a little uh, bit of homework on you. So I have a whole bunch of questions and I am a uh, CrossFit coach and workout junkie myself. So definitely, definitely am interested, you know, from that perspective as well. So I had wanted to do something with you back when I was still with MLB Network, and then it just kind of never panned out. I had spoken to Rob Butcher about it. I think I told you that. So yeah, I kind of remember that. You've been known as one of the fittest guys in MLB for a while. When did your interest in fitness begin? I know you had three older brothers that influenced you a little bit to work out, but how did it really get started? Yeah, I remember, I think I was like 12 years old and I was doing... um, we didn't have any tournaments coming up for like a month, baseball tournaments. And I just, it was summertime. And I remember doing our, the dynamic warm up that they would have us do like high knees, butt kickers, shuffles, all that stuff in, in the shallow end of my pool. I don't know why I wanted, I was like, let me just try it out. So I did it like every day for those couple of weeks, we didn't have tournaments. And then I showed up to um, a tournament and we were doing those warm ups and we were doing sprints. And my coach was like, Hey man, you've gotten faster. And like, he was able to notice like the change in my speed. And so for me, that kind of like, whoa, that's weird. Cause I've been doing stuff in my pool and wow, like you can get better. When I realized I can make myself better was kind of where, you know, I wanted to, what else can I do to make myself better? And then just watching my brothers work out and different stuff like that. Yeah. I just got into it more and more. That's interesting too, because at 12 years old, you're kind of going through growth spurts and you're kind of awkward and you're not always able to make those physical fitness gains at that point. Yeah. So I went through a growth spurt going into my freshman year of high school. And, um, I remember playing a Sunday ball game with my oldest brother and I hit what should have been a triple, but I remember running around the bases, like what is going on with my body? Like I had no idea. I felt like Bambi running around the bases and I tried to slide into third and like, I totally flopped and I was like, Whoa, this is crazy. I don't know how to use my body right now. I did go through that and had to stay on top of like, okay, I need to do more sprinting and more stuff like that. Because I think in my eighth grade year, I got heavily into skateboarding and so I wasn't doing a lot of running and different things like that. So I didn't even notice that I was uncoordinated at the time until I played that baseball game. And I was like, Oh, okay. I need to get back into the sprinting and all that stuff. It's crazy though, because sometimes there's not much you can do. It just takes your nervous system, the amount of time it's going to take for it to catch up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you, you can control, you know, what's in your control, you can do the best with, but there's definitely things that are out of your control when it comes to that. 
I was watching your, uh, like I said, I was doing some homework on you and I saw where you said that in high school, all you really did was long toss and run poles. How has your knowledge of fitness and what you need to do for yourself evolved since then? Yeah, it's kind of, I've, you know, thrown some stuff aside and kept some stuff with me even from then. But I think like that's a part of the journey is you do things, you go, that works for me, at least. It might not work for everyone, but it works for me. You pick different things up and then you discard other things. And so there's been a lot of that on the way of things where I used to do that I don't do anymore, but a lot of things that I also, that I've always done and I continue to do even till this day. The more you do it, the more you're in tune with your own body and the more you know what you need. Like every, everyone's built so differently. That's why you hear all these stories about, wow, Pilates changed everything for me. And another guy, it's like, it doesn't do anything for me. You know, it's like, it's not that Pilates is great or bad. It's just, it was great for that person at that point in time. And so I think searching for those things that are, that are beneficial for me as a, as an individual is really important. You obviously do a lot of different things, but what are those things that you've kept the same over the years that really work for you? Yeah, a lot of the sprint work, a lot of hill work, a lot of the lifting that I used to do as a position player, I still do really early in the off season. So in October, November, midway through December, just because I have the time at that point to gain some size, I can tighten up a little bit and I still have the rest of December, January and February to lengthen everything back out. So I take that time really seriously to develop some explosiveness and some power. I generally put a couple more pounds on during the off season at that time. And then as I go through the end of December to January into February is when I start to kind of tailor back down my weight and I'm opened up again. And I feel like if you throw any workout at me, I can do it and hang, at least hang with it. But a lot of the, a lot of the sprint work and a lot of the med ball work, explosive plyo stuff, box jumps I've been doing for a really long time. And I think you know, my philosophy is I just want to be bigger, faster, stronger, and I want to be as athletic as I possibly can and maintain that for as long as I can. So the one thing that has changed has been really my nutrition and my diet. And that's been like the biggest change for me in regards to just the more knowledge that I've gotten. And my wife is extremely smart. She's actually getting her master's in human nutrition and functional medicine. So she's like kind of my expert in my ear telling me, you know, what to eat and what not to eat. I've kind of relied on adaptation that I've taken on with my nutrition to age me as slowly as I possibly can. That's kind of like, in my mind, why I've changed my nutrition. So I have so many questions for you now, just off of that answer. So first of all, you grew up as an outfielder, a position player. How did you become a pitcher? So I always had a good arm and scouts would always ask me to pitch. And my brother was drafted as a pitcher, but he got Tommy John. And I said, no, I don't, I don't want to pitch. My elbow killed me when I was in junior high. And so I actually stopped playing baseball for like an entire year. And that's when I picked up skateboarding. And I like really was skateboarding all the time. And then, cause my elbow was killing me. And so I just came back to throw and came back playing and loved the game and was still pretty good at it. And my elbow still hurt and I threw awkwardly. And, and that's why I started playing long toss and running a lot just to get my arm back in throwing shape. And that's what helped me then. So, but I never wanted to pitch just because I it's like, no, I don't, my brother got Tommy John. I was just being a young kid. It's like, I don't want that. I don't want it. In college, they asked me my sophomore year if I could close because I had a good arm thrown from the outfield and uh, Mark Kotze did it back in 
the nineties for Cal state Fullerton. And, and so he's the legend there. So I was like, get to play center field and come in and close like that'd be awesome. So that's kind of where pitching picked up and I didn't do anything with the pitchers. I didn't throw bullpens. I didn't condition with the pitchers. I, I was a position player who in the ninth inning would just come in and pick my leg up as high as I could and throw the ball as hard as I could. And that was it. It's funny. You always imagine a guy running in from the bullpen, which is in the outfield. You don't always imagine them running from the actual outfield. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> At Cal State, you were a two-way standout, right? But pitchers are pretty well known for going through their shoulder maintenance programs and training a certain way. And position players yeah. usually train a very different way. So yeah. how do you adapt your training to handle both of those things? So I was actually, I'm really happy that I didn't pitch back in the day because I would have been all these baseballs so behind with uh, the strength training and, and the movement stuff for me in my eyes. And I think it's got, it's caught up a lot, but I think back then it, it was way behind in what we do. And so I would have been put in, the, in this box of like, I'd probably be 15 pounds lighter. I'd probably be, you know, not nearly as athletic with my body. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be into the things that I'm into. And I'm thankful that I didn't pitch because of that. And I'm thankful that I played center field and wanted to be the best athlete I could possibly be because my training really hasn't changed much other than like, I'm a lot more cautious with this part of my body with making sure that everything is open. My, my warm up is like, I can't afford for this or this to tighten up on me. Like I just can't because when you pitch, if this and this is tight, you can throw, you know, three balls from the outfield in that game and be totally fine. But if this and this is tight and you got to throw, whether it's out of the bullpen and throw 25, 30 pitches, max effort, you're manipulating the ball, you're doing all these things, or as a starting pitcher, you're throwing a hundred pitches pretty close to max effort, really high intensity. It's like, it's a different animal. So I'm definitely way more cautious on taking care of this. And that just comes from like holistically taking care of everything else around it and making sure like I could still be big and strong, but I really, really, really have to take the time to be detailed with how I choose to open up my body and get ready to take, pick up a baseball and post after I, after I do my throwing, I have to be really diligent with the stuff that I do. I just love it. Cause I got to come up and wanted to be the best athlete as a center fielder and then pitching it. Now I still have that same mentality, but now I'm in the little details of how do I open my body up properly? How do I maintain this for as long as I possibly can? So it's like the best of both worlds for me. I do just want to say for the people who are going to be listening that he's just have to take care of this and this, that is your shoulder. Oh yes. Your elbow. My shoulder and my elbow. Yes. Um, I saw the videos on MLB network of you working out on the beach with the kettlebells, the med ball, the bands, you're swimming in the morning in Corona Del Mar. You're doing barefoot lunges and landmines in the gym. Your routine is so varied. So can yeah. you just kind of walk us through what your off season routine is? What does your programming look like? Yeah. So it's going to be broken up and like, there's going to be plyo work. Well, first off before anything, it's going to be like opening up the body with a lot of, I like to, I love to hang and I love to do some T spine stuff, thoracic spine stuff before I start my day. And like during the season, that's an every single day thing, hanging and then three thoracic spine exercises that I do literally every day. I do these weird things called spinal waves too mm -hmm. on top of that. And then I do some hip work where I'm in a squat position, full squat and open up my hips in both ways. And then I, I just make sure to hit my ankles and my wrists to get my Achilles tendon going and like just different things, like just all the little things. And then, so that's going to be an everyday thing. And then I'm going to incorporate some type of plyo work, whether it's with a med ball 
upper body plyo work, which is going to be either rotational stuff, upper body, or I do some lower body plyo work, which can be with the med ball as well, or box jumps, different things like that. I'm going to have a sprint, some sprint work in there as well. And then I'm going to have a lift. And then, so whether that lift is upper body, lower body, it just depends on the day. And then I have my hobbies. So the hobbies are going to be things that are still keeping me active, whether it's getting in the water. That's more of a hobby that I enjoy doing because you also, you know, as much as we take care of our bodies, you also have to take care of your mind and do things that you enjoy. And so getting out into the water is just something that I've always wanted to do growing up. So getting into the water in the mornings is great. Go do boxing, which is more like learning the skill of boxing, learning the skill of, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, things like that, that are still very, you're very active, but I'm not doing it necessarily to get a workout in. It's just like something that's really fun to do that keeps me in really good shape. How many days a week are you training in the off season? Generally like five. And on top of that, how do you add in your throwing program and your hitting since you're also a position player? <laughs> so, yeah, usually it's going to be after my lift is where I will go and throw. I go, I go to this place called Chapman Compound, Chapman Baseball Compound in Irvine. And the place is fantastic with, they have all the tech. They have the guy that runs it is insanely smart. And so he does hitting and pitching. And so I'm able to do both there. I do an hour of each with him. And so the days are long. I'm, I'm constantly driving from one place to another, but it's so much fun at this. I'm doing things that I love. So there's definitely worse things I could be doing. What's the time frame Like what time do you start in the morning and what time do you finish at night? We usually get down to the beach, golf cart loaded at like 6.30 in the morning. And um, usually done, it depends. Sometimes, you know, 5 p.m., 6 p.m., it depends. Um, I was doing some PT on my knee too. So I was having to fit that in as well. Sometimes the boxing, I'll just, I would just go to the Ruka headquarters there in Costa Mesa where they have that, where I do all that stuff and, um, go in for like anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and a half. And if Jason, who's the head striking coach there, if he's free to an hour with him, if he's not, then it's like, I just hit the bag on my own and or watch him train people or get in the sauna or get in the cold bath there. Just fine. When I go there, I'm not like trying to get, be productive really. I'm just going there to like, all right, what can I do? I'm like, I said, it's more for my mind to hang out and have some fun be around some cool guys. You mentioned before that baseball is a little bit behind in the strength and conditioning world. And I sort of completely agree with you. There are still a lot of pitchers who won't do overhead stuff. I see you're doing handstand pushups. You're doing pull-ups. I've always thought that if a player, any athlete lives up here, they should train up here. So you're not yeah. throwing yourself into movements that you've never done before. It's not unfamiliar. Also, a lot of pitchers would be afraid to box, to hit something. God forbid something happens to the hand. So what is it about these yeah. exercises that you like? What do you think it adds for you? And why are you not afraid to do them? The whole mindset of just living your life wrapped in bubble wrap is, is so tough for me. And so that's one thing that I, I just can't live my life that way. One. And two, you, you also have to find people like, I'm not just going to some average Joe and like, Hey, let's hit pads. It's like, no, I'm going to an expert who knows my situation as well. And is going to be cautious with me and make sure that I'm not doing anything that I'm not throwing punches in a wrong manner that I'm being, you can still be smart about it at the mm -hmm. same time. So, you know, going out into the water, I made sure that I had 
yeah, lifeguard, take me out for the first time and show me the ropes. And like, this is what you do that this, and he's a college swimmer as well. So he's showing me how to swim properly. So like, there's different ways to make sure that like, you're not doing anything that's going to negatively affect you with the handstand stuff and, and just learning from an expert and learning, you know, I'm not a fan of saying, no, I don't do that. Like, no, we don't do that. It's like, what do you mean? We don't do that. You just can't put everyone under that basket. Like I said, certain people need certain things. It might not be for everyone, but it's definitely not, not for everyone. If you have one weak link, it affects everything else. So like if you're weak overhead, it's going to affect you in other places. So I just want to be like extremely well-rounded in everything that I do. Were there any weaknesses you think or holes in your fitness that you were trying to address this off season? I had to rehab my knee. I had some patellar tendonitis, a lot of scar tissue built up back from my junior year in college that came back when I was like becoming a position player again. So I had to clean that up. And so just kind of doing all the, I'm not a fan of physical therapy <laughs> and my physical therapist will, I messed around with them all the time. He's great over at Modus in Costa Mesa. And, um, he has me doing all the little things, ISOs, all that stuff. So I'm doing a ton of isometrics for, for my knee and, and hips and all that stuff. They're not fun, but it's stuff that I've had to go back and readdress this off season. Are there any exercises that you program that you kind of love to hate the things that you can't stand doing, but you know, you need it. It's good for you. I would say not really, to be honest, <laughs> not really like not. Yeah, not really. I, I tend to do things that I really like doing. What are your favorites? Oh, the plyos for sure. I love doing plyos more than anything, like some med ball slams or throws or jumping and yeah, lateral jumps, trying to stick different jumps. And that's going to be my favorite thing to do. And then lifting wise, definitely like when I'm in November going into December, that's like when I'm my strongest because I'm, I'm lifting. That's like my favorite time of the off season. But also when I pick up a baseball, it's, I feel terrible. And that's just, even if I didn't lift, I would feel terrible. But that's like in the weight room, I know like, okay, I could do any lift. The hardest part is not working out that way for the entire season and then going into a, a gym and you're not nearly as strong in like your second set, you're already burning out in an exercise that usually you don't. And that's super frustrating. And it takes about three weeks for me to like get back to close to where I was. And that's always the most frustrating part is when I first get back into a gym during the off season. So how much do you weigh right now? And what will you get to during the season? I'm like 210 now, and I'll probably stay this weight all year. And yeah. then how does the training change then from off season to in season? So the training during in season is insanely simple. It's so simple. Like I'm so focused on my skill and making sure, you know, winning baseball games at the major league level is literally all that matters your thought of like how strong I need to be kind of gets, it's gone. It's just, I need to maintain what I'm doing and be able to throw the ball over the plate where I want to throw it and get guys out. That's all I care about. So really after I throw is when I'm going to do my shoulder program that I have, which is three different shoulder exercises. And then I have a couple ISOs that I do on top of that with some elbow work as well. Some forearm work with some isometrics with the forearm as well. And then the lift is going to be, I do a split squat but it's going to be full knee past toe into my squat. 
and it's going to be pretty heavy weight. And I'll do two to three sets of about six each side. So I'll pair that with a Nordic hamstring curl. And that's going to be my main lift. And then if I want to do some monster walks and do and hit like, you know, some lateral stuff, I'll hit that and make sure I hit everything, all the little things that I need to hit as well. But those are going to be my main things. So that's basically all I care about doing that day. And then my upper body day is going to be a one arm assisted chin up, and it's going to be three each arm. And that's going to be paired with a one arm elevated push up. And that's literally, that's it. So one day a week, upper, lower? One day, yeah. So one day a week is going to be, um, so it, it will be, we're still, because I'm supposed to be starting this year, so we're still in the works. Out of the bullpen, I would lift, if I pitch that day, I'm lifting that day. So say I pitch Monday, I'm doing an upper Monday. Say I pitch back, I pitch Tuesday, now I'm doing a lower. I don't pitch Wednesday, I don't pitch Thursday, I pitch Friday, I'm doing an upper. I pitch Saturday, I'm doing a lower. So. I only lift on days that I pitch out of the bullpen. As a starter, that will change. As a starter, it's going to change. So I'm going to, I'm probably going to take, I'm going to pitch. I'm going to do my shoulder work, my elbow work care. And then the second day off, the day after I pitch is going to be full recovery mode. It's going to be more of like just getting my blood flowing on maybe a bike, something low impact. So like, yeah, a bike probably for a longer period of time just to get a flush and I'm going to get a lot of massage work done, whether it's, I love dry needling as well. Dry needling is one of my favorite things. Um, I feel like it's most effective for me. So I'll probably get that. I'll use the Magna wave, something that we have in the clubhouse, which I feel like works wonders. I'll contrast, I'll get a massage. And then after that day is when I'm going to do my, I will do my upper body lift that next day. And then I'll throw a bullpen the following day, do a lower body lift. And then I have one day off to kind of do some, whatever I want and then game pitching a game again. And then what about skill work like for the outfield and base running? Yeah. So that's going to be, I'll get my skill work done during batting practice. I'll shag some live balls really like that. Shagging live balls is the best thing for any outfielder to do all the drills are great. All that stuff is great, but it's almost like for me, it's almost one of those things like we have nothing else to do. So we're just going to create these drills for you outfielders to do, but like shagging live balls during batting practice, it literally doesn't get any better than that. Like it doesn't. And so when I shag like two, three days of VP, it's like, okay, I got my timing. I take chances on balls where I don't necessarily think I could get to, but I want to learn my limits, my limitations. It's like, oh, wow, I actually got to that ball. Okay, cool. I, I Okay, so I got that. I'll get used to putting my head down and looking back up, you know, putting my head down, taking four strides and looking back up and finding the ball. Different things like that, you know, are so important. And you only get really like, you can get it during live reads, during batting practice. So that's going to be the skill work for that. And then base running is, is as long as I'm doing my sprint work and all that stuff, leading up to my starts and keep my legs loose, then I'm good to go. I just need to know the signs. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you ever feel like with all of this stuff that you're taking on, you've got to be able to hit, you got to be able to pitch, you got to be able to run bases. You're just doing so much more homework than anybody else. You know what? I'm. You'd be surprised by how simple I keep it. And I think that's the only way to go about it is you got to keep it as simple as possible. So I don't stress too much about it, to be honest. Like, I'm not in the cage taking 150 swings. Like if you give me 20 swings, like 
I'm good. I don't need any more. I'm a big overthinker. So I'm really, that's where me having one job, it's like, I get bored and it's like, well, I want to learn that all the details and all the ins and outs. And then this computer up here takes over rather than my raw athleticism and, and the skill that I have. And so me having all these jobs, it forces me to just keep it simple and play baseball. And it's like, it's been a blessing for me actually, because I can't fully dive into every single thing. Otherwise it's just too much. Like you're saying, like, how do you do all? It's like, I don't do any of that studying really. I just, I have my little things that I just got to hit on and I'm ready to go. I wonder if the kind of diversification actually helps you with overuse stuff in the long run. Yeah. Absolutely. Overuse in which case? Would you overuse, say? like if you're not taking 8 million cuts, you're like you're not going to have some overuse oblique injury. If you're not throwing way too much, you are going to manage your UCL a little better, you know? 100%. I tend to lean a lot more on the pitching. I do dive into it pretty deep on the pitching side, just because it's like, that's my job. Mm-hmm. Everything else is kind of a plus. And I'm learning more and more how to simplify it uh, with the more experience that I get. And I feel like this is as simple as I've made it in my entire career. And it, it feels great. From a recovery standpoint, you mentioned the contrast baths. That's hot to cold, hot to cold. I know what MagnaWave and dry needling are, but can you kind of yeah. explain them for everybody else? So dry needling is basically, it's if in your mind, if you want to picture acupuncture and you have a pretty good idea of it, but it's, it's definitely different. They're going straight to where you sore. I'm sore in my rotator cuff. And they're going to needle around your rotator cuff to where acupuncture, from my experience, that's not going to be the case. Some people like to, with dry needling, you can, it's called pistoning to where you can like you dig around with the needle and find that, find those jumpers, what I like to call them and have your muscles twitch and kind of reset. And generally if I'm tight, I'll have them piston and, and like, Hey, you got to find it. And there's some crazy jumps. You'll see my arm doing some crazy things. And it's like, insanely better. If you're not used to it, you'll be pretty sore after. But for me, like it's been the best thing that for my body personally. And then the Magna wave is going to be, you know, it's beyond my knowledge of exactly what's going on, but it does something at the cellular level that helps with blood flow or something. All I know is I've tried it and it works. And so what it feels like though, when you put it on, it's like a rubber piece that you put on, it's hooked up to this machine and you put it over wherever you're doing it. And it feels like, it literally feels like a piece of metal just kind of hitting you like think, 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 but you don't, there's nothing there. It's just a wave, whatever it is, that's hitting you think, think. And it feels kind of strange. I'm used to it now. I'm telling you, it works. I love it. I feel like so much of the recovery stuff whether there's good science or sketchy science or no science, if it makes you feel good and turns on your parasympathetic nervous system and yes. lets you relax, it's great. Yeah. Whether it's doing the MagnaWave or reading comic books, it doesn't matter. You know. So that's exactly it. That's why I'll never say, oh yeah, that thing's a scam or that thing sucks. It's like, because for some people, no, it does work. It's just like, it's also like nutrition too. Like, oh, that diet's, if you Google the keto diet, you'll see a million articles of why it's literally the greatest diet ever invented and a million articles of why it's the worst diet for you and this and that. And it's just because it depends on what your biological makeup is at the time. And like, so for, you know, some people love the, what are those things where you wear on your legs, the compression that people, Normatec. Um, 
the normal pe- people love them and they're like, Oh man, I, it just helps. And I, me, I'm like, these things suck, but I'm not saying don't use them. I'm just saying for me, they suck. And for some people, the MagnaWave doesn't do anything, but for me, it makes me feel great. So you just got to find whatever works for you. So we keep going back to nutrition. I did read that you've tried a whole bunch of diets over the years, and now you're saying that you kind of have it honed in. How has it evolved? What have you tried and what are you on to now? Yeah, it's with anything that I do, I tend to dive in, jump in head first and learn as much as I can about it. And then after that, I simplify it and then I don't think about it again. So I've done the keto diet. I've lost 30 pounds to done this whole gut health thing, diet and all this stuff with my wife. And all of it's been great. I mean, really what we've come to the conclusion for me is like, if I'm dairy free, if I'm gluten free and I am eating whole organic foods, then that's perfect. But like, we're trying to time meals and like, okay, eat this before this time. And you eat this after this and, and like time everything. And it's literally, you're putting more focus into this than you are your own job into pitching. And like, if you didn't eat this right before you went out and through your, it's in your head and you feel kind of weird and having too much awareness of what's going on within your body is a little, it can be paralyzing at times. And so it was like, okay, let's just simplify it. What makes me feel good consistently. And that's really, for me, it's been dairy-free, gluten-free, whole organic foods. What does a day of eating look like for you? Um, so thankfully, my wife loves to cook. So I'm super thankful for that. The meals that she prepares for me are unbelievable. So every morning, she makes me three to four eggs scrambled, an avocado sliced up with some mixed berries, and then I'll have gluten-free toast. So that's going to be my morning meal with some coffee. And then generally she makes these bowls like that are really good, whether it's with ground beef or salmon, and she'll have sweet potato, rice, some vegetables mixed in. And that'll be kind of like my lunch bowl. And then at night, it'll be basically the same foods, but just switched up. So if I had salmon for lunch, then it'll probably be a red meat or chicken thighs. Cause I love thighs better than breasts. I can't stand chicken breasts. So I'll have Agreed. chicken. Th- yeah. I'll, ha- I'll have chicken thighs at night, but it's just, the proteins will just switch. Like if I have salmon for lunch, I'm probably not going to have salmon for dinner too. And if I have like brown rice or even white rice, or if I have sweet potato, we'll switch up the carbs and the starches as well. Just so, but it's just almost the same thing daily. And then with a smoothie mixed in, that'll have like collagen protein. It'll be fruits and berries. And then she'll add about a teaser shot about seven salads in it. (laughs) She won't, she won't, but she's always like, like yeah, yeah, she adds vegetables to it. She's like, you need to eat more vegetables. So I I put them all in here. And so, um, she adds some greens to it. She'll put some almond butter in it. She'll throw different things. Sometimes she'll put some coconut oil, flax seeds, like different stuff like that. And that's generally all I eat. So what's changed from how I eat now to then is before it used to be like, eat as much as I can. Every, anything that's inside, I need to eat, 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 because I need to gain, gain, gain. And then it's like, I realized like, the more you eat, the more you're, the quicker you age yourself, like totally, you, your body doesn't just like the calories that you don't use throughout the day, your body doesn't just get rid of it. Like, it turns into inflammation and it turns into all this stuff going on in your own body. And like, really you're just putting your body under way more stress 
than it needs to be. And instead of eating to fuel yourself, you're really just adding more stress onto your body. Everyone asks me like, oh, you must eat a ton. And I'm like, actually, I don't eat very much. And that started back in 2017, where I stopped eating nearly as much. And I've been able to maintain, which has been kind of blown my mind. I didn't think I would. It's been way different with that, like way less inflammation. I feel great. Do you count your calories at all? We used to. So that's, that's another thing. We used to like count every single thing that I'd eat, we were counting them. And now it's like, once you get a hold of it, you're able to simplify it. And I haven't counted my calories in maybe a year and a half, two years. And with this philosophy that you have that eating less is better, do you play with fasting at all? Oh yeah, that's a good question. So I do, especially during the season. Sometimes during the season, I'll go for about a month where I don't have my first meal until after batting practice. And I feel great at the time. And so it's like, well, if I feel great, I'm maintaining my size and my performance. I feel great. I feel clear mentally during my performance. Then that's all that matters. And so I'll do that for just really however long, like as long as it feels good, I'll continue to do it. And then if it starts to like, you know, I'm starting to get hungry, then I'll just start eating, you know, before I get to the field or right when, yeah. Is it harder during the season when you're on the road and your wife isn't there to cook for you? (laughs) So that's generally when I'll fast. (laughs) (laughs) My wife is not here. I am not eating. (laughs) (laughs) That's generally when when I fast. But honestly, though, when I'm on the road, it's pretty easy because I make sure sleep to me, too, is another thing that's changed. And so sleep, I make sure to at least get eight hours of sleep every single night. And a lot of the nights I'll get as much as 11. And so I'll sleep in and, you know, I'll get up, make myself a cup of coffee and it's literally two thirty time to go to the field. And anyways, wow. you know, so I haven't eaten anything and it's pretty easy to not eat until mm-hmm. six o'clock because I've been in bed until one thirty. And so, yeah, on the road, it's when she's not there, it's, it kind of works out when it comes to eating because I'm in, I'm in bed all day anyways. This is a selfish question for myself because I have been gluten-free for about 15 years now and I find it pretty easy. I don't really think about it, but I do also enjoy a piece of toast every now and then. What's your GF toast brand? That's the wife would know. I don't even know. I don't even know. You got to email me. I have a really good one, but it's from a bakery in the Catskills that I have to have special ordered sent to me on dry ice every every month. I'll send it to you though. It's really good because I am not not down with Udi's. Yeah, please send it over. If it's if it's good, then yeah, please send it over. When you have a cheat day, what does that look like? So I True Foods Kitchen is really good. They have like gluten-free, dairy-free pizzas that I'll get. And they have some really good tacos there that I'll eat. And then like Hop Dottie's burger is really good. Gluten-free buns, obviously. There's another, I love Mexican food. So it's going to be like tacos and stuff like that for sure. And they're gluten-free because they're on corn tortillas, right? Exactly. Yes. So this is kind of an overall kind of more existential question for you. So my grandfather was Yogi Berra. In his day, guys were strong because they worked on farms or in factories in the off season. They did stuff that was like manual labor, right? They obviously were not weight room strong. Then you get to the 80s and 90s. You got John Cruck running around saying, I'm not an athlete. I'm a ball player. In today's game... Guys are so much fitter, but do you need to be fit to compete? Do you still see guys who are not super fit? And how did that like evolution happen? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could definitely not be fit and compete. And you're like really skilled and really good. Like I said, just really skilled. 
at it. But my idea behind why I'm so fit is because I wanted my career to last as long as it possibly can. Like I'm in control of that part of it. How will I take care of myself? So, you know, if I'm throwing 97 miles per hour and for eight more years, for me, in my mind, it's like my numbers don't have to be the best numbers for teams to want me on their team with experience. And I still have good stuff and I'm healthy and they can trust that. So that's going to be in my mind, why I take care of myself really well. It's just, you don't want to chance it. It's like, you want the odds. You always want the odds to be in your favor as much as they possibly can. And you see guys like, you know, back in the eighties, they played for forever and they uh, didn't take care of themselves. And it's like, um, there are, there are a couple. Yeah, you're right. There were a couple that did that, but like, you're going to go with those odds versus like taking care of yourself and putting yourself in the best position. Like it's like those stories of, yeah, my grandma smoked until, you know, cigarettes and she, she lived until she was 98 years old. And it's like, well, that's one out of however many million that that's going to happen. Like if you want to take those odds, go for it, but I'm not going to take those odds. And so that's kind of my thought when it comes to that, like it's easy to have a flash in the pan, good couple of years in the big leagues, but like to be able to maintain that is the hardest thing. And I think health and taking care of yourself and showing up to the field mentally clear all the time. I think that's a way to do it at least from my perspective. You were the first guy since Babe Ruth to homer in a game, earn a win as a pitcher and play the field. And Babe Ruth certainly was one of those guys who ate a lot of hot dogs and drank a lot and was maybe not a pillar of physical fitness, but he was pretty damn good, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Do you ever think about how crazy that is to be in the same sentence with him? Oh man, it's the coolest thing ever is to have my own baseball card with it's me and Babe Ruth on the same baseball card. Like I ordered so many of those things because uh, I thought like that is the, I don't know how many people have a baseball card with Babe Ruth on the same card. It's pretty cool. And that game going back, like it's my fault that I actually got the win because I gave up a 0-2 fastball right down the middle. I was trying to go up with it and I just yanked it down right down the middle to Jay Bruce for him to tie the game with a home run to dead center, one of my old teammates. And, um, so it's one of those situations where I was like, if I didn't give up that home run, I would feel a lot better about it, (laughs) but I gave up that home run to give up the lead. And that's why I got the win. But yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome to look back and think about it. And it's funny. My brother made such a good point that I never thought about when it came to like, Oh, would Babe Ruth be able to play in today's game? And he's like, well, you think if Babe Ruth was alive today, that he'd be as big and out of shape as he was, he'd probably be training just like everyone else. Like, you know, and he'd be just as good as everyone else. Like he'd be just as good. Probably. I'm like, that's, that's a good point. It's a good point. People ask me that all the time about if my grandpa could play today. And I'm like, first of all, that man, <laughs> watch, like, watch forgot- your mouth. I, I, well, he's forgotten <laughs> more about baseball than most people ever know. He was just so smart. And he also was, he used to say the reason that he was able to catch for so many years was because he was so low to the ground. He didn't have to squat as far. <laughs> the man, the man caught both ends of day night double headers 118 times in his career, right? That's insane. That's so insane. like, like talk about durability. If he was also working out on top of that, I mean, come yeah. on, like, come on. I did want to ask you, you do a lot of mental preparation. What does that look like for you? Um, A lot of it's visualization work. And a lot of it is like when I visualize, I want to, I throw pitches in as I'm visualizing, but it's not like where the pitch goes. I'm not visualizing, oh, hitting my spots or anything like that. I'm visualizing the emotions that are going on in my mind 
as I'm going to throw each pitch? Like, how do I want to feel as I throw every single pitch? What are my cues when I'm throwing this fastball here? Like, I don't care where it goes. I don't care about seeing where it goes. I just care about running through those like, okay, game seven of the world series, or I'm throwing on the backfields in spring training. I want those cues to be just on autopilot of like, okay, two Oh fastball down and away. What do I want to think as I'm getting ready to throw that pitch? And I want to think that every time I throw a fastball, I want to think this every time I throw my slider, I want to think this every time I throw my change up. So I'm just kind of like conditioning my mind to constantly go over those cues every time I get, you know, the change up sign or every time I get the cutter sign. And that's really what my visualization is. So then when I get up on a mound, it doesn't matter the situation. It doesn't matter where I'm pitching. It's the same thing. It's the same thing and see it before you do it. And so that's, I like to go over all that stuff. Do you visualize particular hitters? Sometimes I will to like up the stakes a little bit to make sure that like, sometimes if you visualize a certain hitter, you'll feel your adrenaline start to rush a little more and it'll become a little more realistic. I've always liked to feel different senses. So I like to feel the dirt under the spikes. So that's, you know, touch, feel the baseball, hear the fans or hear the music, different things like that to where it makes it, it brings it to life more. And then, so you can add a hitter in there too, to where a certain hitter. And then all of a sudden you get like, you feel it in your gut and like, okay, this is where I need to be. And let's go over those same cues that I want to go through as I throw each pitch. Who's the best hitter you've faced in real life? And who's the best hitter you've faced in your mind? (laughs) It's tough. This is a tough question. Um, That's a tough question because I don't like, I'm not a fan of giving hitters a ton of credit, but like, (laughs) um, I would say the best hitter I've ever faced has got to be Miguel Cabrera, which is so funny because I tend to um, see him in the box sometimes as I'm throwing. And last year he went one for one off of me with a game tying home run and a walk. <laughs> so I need to up my game against that guy. I've read your 2021 goals are to spend the whole season in the rotation, throw 180 <laughs> innings, contribute as a pinch hitter, a pinch runner and a center fielder and appear in three out of every five games. Is that true? And how did you lay that out? And, and how do you plan on bringing that to fruition? The appear in three at every five games. I don't know where that came from. It probably just came from (laughs) the internet, (laughs) the internet. Yeah. Don't believe everything you read. I just think so when I'm down pitching wise, so obviously I'm not going to play a position the day that I start the next day is going to be full recovery day. So I'm not going to play a position then. So I have day three, day four and day five to really day three and day four to really play a position if they need me to. And day five, if like they need me to pinch run or anything, depending on how they feel about me possibly getting into a game as a position player the day before I pitch again. So that's like, I'm available those days. It's not that I'm like, yeah, I need to play those games. It's like, no, I'm available. And to do whatever they, they need me to do, whether that's pinch run, pinch hit, play position, anything. And then the 180 innings thing for me, it's just... I want to be a starting pitcher. So, and it's just me telling myself, you're going to throw, I always prepare for the extreme just so, you know, what do they say? Um, Shoot for the moon and, and if you miss, you'll land among the stars. Yeah. Like, yeah. So like, I'm always going to prepare myself as if I were going to throw 180 innings, you know, after throwing in the bullpen for the past five years in my mind, I'm always going to prepare for that. And like, I always think it's the right thing to over-prepare rather than under-prepare. 
And so sometimes people take with what I'm saying a little too seriously. They don't understand like what's going on in my mind and why I'm saying these things. Of course, like I'm telling you, I'm going to throw 180 innings. Yeah, that's, that's in my mind, of course. Mm -hmm. But like, I'm not going to the Reds and saying, you know, I'm at 140 innings right now and I need to throw 40. No, like that stuff. It's not, that's not the case. It's like, no, I'm prepared to throw as many, whenever they need me to throw, I want to take the ball every fifth day and I want to throw, I want to throw until I need to come out of the game because like I'm handing the ball to the bullpen and we have the lead and that's why I need to come out of the game. So that's what I'm thinking there. But these expectations and stuff like that with how many games I want to get into and all that stuff. It's like, it's just me mentally preparing for anything and being ready for it. What's your most favorite thing to do on a baseball field? I don't know if I have one. I really don't because there's so many cool details about everything. Even like running bases, like stealing a base in the ninth inning of a close game. And like, you need to steal second base. Like I've been in that situation and that was, it was insanely fun. We were in Chicago, Craig Kimbrell's pitching. It's the ninth mm-hmm. inning. I think we're down by one and I go to pinch run and I have to steal second base. And it's like, this is fun. Like that's, you can't say that that's not fun. So I had a blast doing that, you know, making a diving play, like the feeling that you get after you make a good play in the outfield or you throw somebody out in the outfield is like, it's unbelievable. And then obviously having a good outing pitching wise, that's probably the most rewarding feeling I would say pitching and having a good outing. It's like, cause it's your game, you're in control and you just feel way more accomplished when you do something like that. And then obviously hitting a home run is great even like hitting a go ahead run for base hit. There's so many cool things. I love the game of baseball, so I can't tell you one thing, but pitching is on another level though, for sure. Do you think like most people who are genetically gifted enough to pitch and win a game in the big leagues are not ever going to be the person who's put in a position to steal second base in the ninth inning or to hit a home run or to throw someone out from the outfield. Like, do you ever just like take a step back and go, holy crap, this is my life. Like I'm able to do all of these things. Um, not yet. Not yet. (laughs) I haven't, I haven't done literally in my mind. It's like, I haven't accomplished anything and I'm going on like my seventh season I know I have just under six years, so I'm going on my seventh season and it's like, I I feel like I haven't even gotten started yet. I think eventually I will look back and like, wow, I can't believe I'm doing this because in my mind, I still feel like I have a ton in the tank. And like I said, I haven't even started, but I haven't gotten there yet. Haven't gotten there yet. Still pretty cool though to, (laughs) to have so many options. Yeah. I saw an MLB network that you were going to be filming more of your workouts and giving fans a look into the baseball season. How can people who want to follow along find you on the internet and social media? Yeah, I'm trying to come up with ways to do it during the off season. I'm really good with social media because it's by myself and like, it's my own space. Right. And so during the season, it's a lot tougher because it's not just my space anymore. I'm sharing a space with 25, 26 other teammates And I like to be extremely respectful of that space. And so I'm trying to figure out ways to still incorporate that and get people to see the inside look at what, what goes on, but not disrupt, you know, our, our own team space that we have. So I'm still figuring that out. I'm still getting the hang of it. I have these cool little cameras that this company op kicks. That's 
It's a cool um, startup company that they gave me that are like not intrusive at all. And I think that I can start filming. I just took them to the field for the first time yesterday. So I'm going to try and do some filming and, and we'll probably post some stuff on TikTok and you know, I think that's where all the kids are at right now. They're on TikTok. And I think for us to grow the game, I think it's crucial that we go to the kids and what, what platform that they're using. So I think we'll, we'll be using some stuff for TikTok and we might start posting stuff on my YouTube channel, but keep an eye out on it. I'm pretty active on, on Instagram more so than Twitter. So if you follow me on Instagram, you'll, you'll see what's kind of what's going on as well. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today and best of luck with your season. Last season, Lorenzen and the Reds lost the Atlanta Braves in the MLB wildcard game, narrowly missing a playoff berth. Be sure to follow along as they set their sights on the 2021 World Series. Next time on Food of the Gods, we catch up with Shari Hawkins, a Team USA heptathlete with her sights set on the Tokyo Olympic Games. Shari spends roughly seven hours a day training for the seven events of the women's heptathlon, the 100-meter hurdles, the high jump, the shot put, the 200-meter sprint, the long jump, the javelin throw, and the 800-meter run. We'll chat with Shari about her training and how she fuels it. Until then, for more information, visit us at foodofthegodspodcast.com, follow us on Instagram at at foodofthegodspod, or email us at foodofthegodspodcast at gmail.com. Hold up. 